We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app, the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, but today I'm going to start a new sermon series walking through uh, the prequel of the story of Joshua. Because before there was Joshua, uh, before there was the children of Israel stepping into Canaan land, before there was any of that, there was a guy named Moses. And God spoke to Moses and started this whole ball rolling because for 400 years, God's people, the Israelites, had been in slavery in Egypt. And um, I think, honestly, in some respects, many of us relate more uh, to that concept or to that position, the position of slavery, the situation of oppression, even more so than we do uh, Joshua's uh, position. And uh, even though over the past few weeks, man, it's been awesome, past five weeks, it's been awesome to see uh, people taking the land, stepping forward. Um, moving forward, we believe, and I just believe that 2017 is a year where you're going to move forward. You're not going to walk around the same circles that you've been walking around, but I'm just believing that people are going to take active, bold steps of faith to follow in their calling, to follow uh, what God has for their family, what God has for their finances. I believe that, that we don't have to just keep circling. and Because and, you weren't created for mediocrity. You were, that's why you're never content with just a nine to five and a paycheck. You were created to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You were created to, to take to la the land. You were created to be victorious over your life. You were created to be a winner. And uh, uh, you were created to follow a calling, something that God put inside of you long before you were even born. God's been working on this thing for generations, and now you've stepped into it. And I, I say we ought to just go for it. I say we ought to just take the land and just take a step and move forward. And um, so one of the ways that we've been doing that is talking about taking the land. And, um, but the prequel of that, the sort of before Joshua, there were um, four cups. And I'm going to be talking about four cups for the next five weeks. Today's kind of the introduction. We actually launch this sermon series next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And we're going to start talking about four cups. And these four cups represent four promises of God. And, uh, uh, you, and I'm, you probably don't understand why four cups represent promises, but I'll explain here in just a minute. But first, let's dive into the scripture. We're going to be looking... At Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And the band's going to start like giving me some background music. It's going to be awesome. Um, Exodus 6, 5 through 7. God speaking to Moses. The people of Israel are still in slavery, but this is God. He says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I, I love that God hears. <laughs> he doesn't just hear eloquent prayers. He hears groaning. Sometimes that's all you can get out. <laughs> he says, I have heard the groaning of my people. I, I, even, even the complaining, I, I hear their cries and it's, it's a cry for help. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, uh, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will, look at that first phrase, I will bring you out. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Uh, now, the reason why this is called Four Cups is because it's based on four promises. And these are four promises that the Jewish people read every single year during a, a feast called the Feast of the Passover. And they read this passage right here. And so over the next uh, four weeks, uh, starting on Easter Sunday, we're going to take each one of these promises. We're going to preach about it. And then not only are we going to preach about it, but I feel like these, this is so pivotal 
to your life and to my life and to our lives together as a church that 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 we're really we're really going all in on these four promises actually if you've been to the new members class you will know that we we really focus much of our ministry at city chapel around these four promises the, we we do these four things we offer these four promises of god in everything that we do so we like to keep it simple and just have four things but uh not only are we launching a sermon series next sunday but we're also launching small groups next sunday so next sunday we're canceling all of our small groups uh, we have about 14 small groups that meet around the city and in different people's homes and different places. We're canceling all of them, shutting them all down. And we are starting new small groups solely focused on these promises. So each week, it's only four weeks long, and we'll have sign-up tables after church on Easter Sunday. we got a petting zoo and pictures and family pictures, all that kind of thing. Well, out there, we'll also have, I think we have nine leaders that are leading different small groups, all focused on the same thing, uh, meeting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't think I left one out there. So there's no excuses uh, that you can be a part of this small group because, because I want you to hear what, what's coming forth on Sunday morning, but I also want you to dig a little deeper into that throughout the week. And so every small group, they have a 15-minute a, a video that they're going to watch. They have a participation guide, and they're going to walk through a deeper understanding of each one of these promises. But the very first promise uh, that I'm going to talk about next week is where God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. God has a plan of freedom for each and every one of us. God wants to bring you. It doesn't matter what you're in. God wants to bring you out. It doesn't matter how long you've been in it. God can bring you out. It doesn't matter how hopeless the situation looks. It doesn't matter how addicted you are. God can bring you out. His power is so powerful enough that whatever is holding you captive, he actually took captive. Jesus said that he took captivity captive. And so he, he oppresses the oppressor and he captivates the captor. And he will bring you out. That's a promise of God. It's a promise to the Israelites. And they were facing a, a, a a, a massive army of the Egyptians, the, the, most, the most advanced civilization of their time, the greatest king and pharaoh of their time. And God said, never mind about the enemy. I am going to bring you out. You're not going to bring yourself out. You're not going to get counseled out. You're not going to get self-will enough to walk out. I am going to bring you out. This is something that God can do and God wants to do for each and every one of us. doesn't matter what you're in. God wants to bring you out of that situation, out of that oppression, out of that depression, out of that anxiety, out of that sin, out of that reoccurring uh, family generational curse, God can bring you out. And so we're going to be offering that promise next Sunday and on Easter Sunday. It's a, it's a one time a year that everybody decides to go to church. And uh, <laughs> so we're going to so hit them hard with the power of God. That, 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 that it doesn't have to just be you step in to church, do your obligatory thing on Easter, and then you go back into the slavery that you've been in. God can bring you out. And it happened in a moment. It happened in an instant. God called them out one day, and the very next day, they were walking free. Their chains had fallen off. Their bonds had fallen off. Their bondages were gone, and they were no longer a slave to sin. They were no longer a slave. They were free. And that's what God has for each and every one of us. So I, I don't want to preach that this week because I'm going to preach that next week. But you can tell I'm a little bit excited about that. So many people live in captivity. They live in bondage because that's all they've ever known. That's all their family has ever known. And they don't think it can get any better. But God will bring you out. 
He said, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is the first promise. The Jews call this um, the promise of, uh, they call it sanctification. We would call it salvation. That's where you put your faith in Jesus and he brings you out. But this is what the Jews call that particular promise, that particular cup. They call it the cup of sanctification. He says, I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will free you. Uh, so next slide highlights that for us. He said, I will free you. Uh, from being slaves to them. Now that sounds kind of like the same thing. I'm going to bring you out, but actually it's, 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 there's a slight difference and it's really important. And the Jews recognize this, this importance because they call, they call this uh, uh, the, the cup of restoration. The cup of restoration. Because he says, not only will I bring you out, that's a geographical change. Now he says, I will free you. That's freedom. That's different. Freedom is not the absence of chains. Freedom is not the absence of chains. Because you can, you can have the chains fall off of you. You can come out of Egypt, but still have Egypt in you. And so he says, I will free you from being. That's, that's the key word, from being slaves. From thinking like slaves. From reacting like slaves. From raising your children like slaves. From, from uh, associating with people on your job like slaves. I will free you from being. Now this is a process, the process of restoration. God has a promise of restoration for each and every one of us, and I want us to drink of that. So we're going we're gonna to be talking of that cup, drinking of that cup uh, the week after Easter. And then he says from being slaves to them, and then he says, I will redeem you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you is the third, the third cup or the third promise. Now, to redeem means to put back to an original purpose, to put back where, where God intended you to be all along. And so we're going to be preaching on that in a few weeks. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. By the way, the mighty acts of judgment are not against you. They're against your enemy. You see over the next few chapters that God brings mighty acts of judgment uh, to Egypt. They're called the ten plagues. We're going to the next uh, slide. He says, I'll redeem you with mighty acts of judgment, and then I will take you as my own people. Uh, this is the cup. Uh, they, uh, the Jews call this the cup of praise. Uh, I would call this the cup of fulfillment, the cup uh, of the, the place where it's not, you're, you're not just singing worship songs, but your life is a worship song. Your life is fulfilled. Your life is fully resting in Jesus Christ. And it's because he says right here, I'll take you as my own people. And people is plural. People is a group. God wants, to, God wants to connect you with other people who are, who, are, who are walking the same path, who are making a difference in this world. And he says, then I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So we're going to be talking about these four promises, um, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm excited about that. But today we're going to start off just simply by looking at how the Jews celebrate these, these, these four promises. And so this is uh, Exodus chapter 6 that we just read from. Uh, over the next uh, few chapters, uh, God uh, begins a showdown with Pharaoh. And there are several plagues. Uh, it's crazy stuff. If you'd like to read it, go, go, go ahead and check it out. Exodus uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. God's doing some amazing things until finally it all culminates with, with, with the final showdown where God says to Pharaoh, that's it. If you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every child, the firstborn of every household, and the firstborn of all the animals throughout the land of Egypt. 
And so this is a massive threat. And uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, well, go ahead, make my day, you know. And um, so God says, all right, this is what's going to happen. And then God gets his people ready. Because remember, his people are living in Egypt. And God doesn't want the firstborn of their families to die. And so God uh, gives them some instruction. He talks to them. And it says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 27, Moses calls them together. He summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your family and slaughter the Passover lamb. Passover lamb. Passover is when God is, is saying, I want, I want to pass over your house. I want the death angel to pass over your house, not kill the firstborn in your family. I want to pass over them. And so he, he announced this Passover feast that they were to have on that night. And so Moses said, go at once and select the animals of your family and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood uh, in a basin and put some of the blood on top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. In other words, stay, stay inside, stay behind the blood of this lamb. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame and will pass over uh, that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter that house and to strike you down. Verse 24 says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance. Now it's not just, he says, not, not just tonight, not just right now, but this is going to be a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants, even when you enter the land that the Lord will, will give you as he promised. I want you to observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then you are to tell them that this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And this became, this became an annual feast, an annual feast that they, that they participated in every single year. And it's, it's actually coming up around this time of year right now. Jews, Hebrews are still celebrating what they call the Passover Seder or the Passover meal. And they celebrate this meal, first of all, by taking a, a lamb and killing that lamb. Uh, and then, and then, then they also have unleavened bread and then they have wine. And uh, this, is, this is something that has been celebrated for literally thousands of years. And, and really, when you fast forward scripturally, we fast forward 1,400 years, Jesus is on the earth, and, and he, of course, was Jewish, and he's, he's living with his Jewish disciples, and so he would have celebrated this Passover feast every single year. Uh, he would have sat down, and, and basically what they would do is, is they, would, they would read the promises. And so I had somebody bring some, wow, these are fancy, some goblets. Um, I had them bring four, but I guess, I guess they're really, not, this is fancy enough. They didn't have anything like this, but um, they, would, they, would, they would have four cups of wine. And they would read the first promise. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of the, uh, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then they would drink from that cup, and they would pass that cup around. And then they would uh, read from the next promise. Uh, I will uh, re redeem you, or I, I will save you from, I guess I need the, the scripture up there while I'm preaching. I'll, I will free you from being slaves to them. I'll free you from being slaves. And then they, they drink from the cup and they pass it around. And then they would read the next one. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, mighty acts of judgment. And they would drink it and pass it around. For, for 1,400 years, they had been killing lambs, 
and eating unleavened bread and drinking wine, remembering a historic event, remembering how God brought them out. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with celebrating what God has done for you. There's nothing wrong with looking back on a historical event and saying, man, that was awesome when God delivered our people out of Egypt. Yeah, we'll drink to that. And that was awesome when, 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 God, when God promised that he was going to free us from being slaves to them. And yeah, yeah, we'll drink to that. And with each of the promises, they celebrated, they celebrated what God had done, right? And so they, they, they were happy to celebrate what God had done. But I imagine that as Jesus was living among them, and Jesus is taking uh, the, a drink from each of these things, Jesus recognized something that even though God had freed them from Pharaoh and God had freed them from being slaves to Egypt, the truth of the matter is that, that almost as soon as they got into the promised land, they began rebelling against God. And as soon as they began rebelling against, against God, they fell into slavery to other nations. And even while Jesus was on the earth, they were slaves to the Romans. They had been conquered by the Romans, and the Roman government could do whatever they wanted to do with them. And so Jesus is celebrating, yes, indeed, and I'm sure he's, he's, I'm sure everyone's thankful for what God had done, but he looks at the present situation, and he says, this is not the purpose. This is not the point. This is leaving us unfulfilled. This is leaving us without something. And so in Luke 22, Jesus says to his disciples, this is on what we call Monday Thursday. So it's the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas, and then he's going to be crucified the next Friday morning. It's the Friday we're about to celebrate this coming Friday. We call it Good Friday. Um, it's good for us. It wasn't good for him. Um, but Luke 22, Jesus is about to be betrayed, about to be crucified, but before he does, look what he says. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. It's no mistake that Jesus was crucified in the middle of a Passover. But he, he says to them, he says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time before I suffer, before I go to the cross. For I tell you that I will not eat it again. And in fact, I would, I would suggest that really you could say it will not be eaten again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Fulfillment? What? Hold up, Jesus. Like, this is, this, is, this is a celebration of a past event. Why does this past event, this past event is not looking for fulfillment. We are just celebrating how God brought us out of Egypt. God brought us uh, away from them, freed us from being slaves to them, uh, put us back into our purpose, um, brought us together as a people, as a nation. I mean, we are celebrating something that happened in the past. But Jesus said, after tonight, this meal is going to find fulfillment. And I don't know if any of you have, 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 have been in this situation before. I'm sure you're all really perfect and holy and, and not at all like me. But, but sometimes when I am going through the motions of religious duty, when I'm going through the motions of church, when I'm going through the motions of being a dad, a, a Christian dad, a Christian husband, a Christian pastor, all of that kind of thing, sometimes... Sometimes going through the motions, sometimes celebrating what God has done can, can, can leave me a little unfulfilled. 
Now I know I know you guys are all perfect and you got all of the all of the rhetoric down. Um, you know you're 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 all blessed and highly flavored and um, you know you're just you're you're just you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're too blessed to be stressed and and too anointed to be disappointed. And and I got it. I, I mean I'm cool. I understand. I understand. <laughs> That you all are just like way above, I and mean, you got that on your coffee mug on the morning, like you know. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, little more lost than you. I have Starbucks on my coffee mug in the morning, and, and 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 I'm not always too blessed to be stressed, and I'm not always doing good, and I'm not always feeling fulfilled, and I'm not always pumped up and ready to go, and 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 blessed and highly flavored, and I'm not always those things. I don't always feel those things. Sometimes I'm missing some fulfillment. Sometimes I'm missing. Sometimes I feel like maybe I got the action down, but there's something missing on the inside. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm reading my Bible, but I'm not really picking anything up. Maybe I'm, I'm praying to God, but I'm not really hearing anything. Maybe, maybe I go through the motions. Maybe, maybe it's like it's like the people of Israel going through these motions, passing around cups, killing lambs, but they're they're still missing something. And I would suggest to you that sometimes when God does things in the past, that He wants us to celebrate. The reason why he wants us to celebrate those things is not simply because he wants us to remember what was done in the past, but because what was done in the past is sometimes prophetic about what God wants to do in the future. And so, you know, I mean, we're coming up on Easter and everybody loves Easter. We love the eggs and we love the cascarones or whatever. And you crack the eggs on the forehead, you know what I'm saying? And the glitter, like that's, that's the really bad... Those are the evil cascarones. And, you know, you get, like, glitter. That shit ain't right. And so, you get, I mean, we, we love the, the family getting together. We got a little bunny hopping around in the costume, which is so weird, but it happens. And, and we, you know, we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And isn't that great? And isn't that wonderful? But what if maybe that past event was to set up a present reality for you and for me? Maybe God doesn't just want to raise Jesus from the dead. Maybe Jesus was the firstborn of those who are resurrected from the dead. Maybe Jesus wants now to raise you and me into life. Maybe he wants to take the dead stuff of our life. Maybe it's not fulfilled with the eggs and with the celebration and with the, the family pictures. Maybe that doesn't fill full the promise of Easter. The Passover, they've been celebrating that, remembering that. And Jesus said, you've been feeling some emptiness. You haven't, it hasn't been fulfilled. It hasn't been filled up. There's been some hollowness to this thing. There's been some disappointment to this thing. There's been some remembering, yeah, but not recognizing. We're remembering what happened in the past, but we're not recognizing what God wants to do in the present. And he said, after tonight, things are going to change. After tonight, next time you eat this, which, by the way, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So he didn't say, don't ever eat this again until you get to heaven. He's not talking about heaven. The kingdom of heaven is come down to earth. So Jesus said, I'm about to, I'm about to fulfill this ceremony that we're doing. I'm about to fill it up with meaning. I'm about to give it something that it didn't have before. And that is the blood of Jesus himself. And so as we get ready to celebrate Easter... And as we celebrate these four promises, right, we, we get excited about the four promises, and we should because these are promises that God had for his people. They're also promises that he has for us. But none of them are accessible apart from the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
Scripture calls him the Lamb of God. In fact, I think lamb is, is that term is used 104 times in the Bible, and it is the most used term to describe Jesus, the Lamb of God. And frequently in the last book of the Bible, the book of Re Revelation, right, when everyone's up in heaven and we're all gathered around the throne, the constant praise from the lips of the saints is worthy is the Lamb who was slain. They, we call him the Lamb of God because he fulfilled... The Passover. And so just, just, just to give you a little bit of scripture, if you go to 1 Corinthians, we have that up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb, and he has been sacrificed for us. And just as the Jews killed the lamb, put that lamb's blood on the post of its doors, and that caused the death angel to pass over them, that was not just utilitarian that was not just to help save their kids that was prophetic of what jesus was going to do that jesus was going to come to earth god was going to be wrapped in human flesh and he was going to be that lamb that lamb of god and that as god's lamb that he, actually let me, let me put it this way he would be the last lamb <laughs> he, he would be the last lamb because after his sacrifice, after his death, after his atoning blood was shed on the cross of Calvary, there was no more need for any other lambs because he had filled it full. He had filled up everything that was necessary for you and for me to receive the promises of God. But it's through him. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there's a few facts about the lamb that I would like to point out to you today uh, from, from, that, from that passage in Exodus, right? When Moses told them to go get the animal, to go get the lamb and slaughter it, uh, there, was, there was some restrictions. In, in Exodus 12, verse 5, he says, uh, the animal that you choose must be year-old males without defect, without defect, without any blemishes, without any crippledness, <laughs> perfect, a perfect lamb. It must be the perfect lamb. And the reason why uh, Moses said they must grab a perfect lamb is because, once again, this is prophetic of Jesus, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that Jesus was perfect, that Jesus, even though he was tempted like you and me, even though he was, he was tempted to sin, he, he, he completely obeyed his Father in every single thing. And he lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. And actually, he's the only, uh, this is the only religion where, where, where the founding uh, father of that religion claims to be perfect. He's the only one. He's the only one who makes that claim. Every single other religion uses some kind of imperfect person or vessel or somehow to, to somehow you know, lead others to some place of perfection. But Christ alone claims perfection. Christ alone claims to be perfect. And in, in his perfection, in his spotlessness, he is the only one who is able to clean us because only the one who is really clean can clean up the one who is dirty. You can't have a dirty rag clean, clean another dirty floor. I've tried it. It doesn't work. So you get dirty rags on a dirty floor. You simply move the dirt around. But if you have a clean rag on a dirty floor, you're able to pick up the dirt with the clean. The clean can take on the unclean. And so only Jesus, because of his perfection, because of his purity, only Jesus can take our unclean on him. 
can take our sin, can take our bondage, can take our uh, hang-ups, can take our iniquities, can take our uh, addictions, can take our fears and our oppression. He can take it on him because he never had any of his own. And the clean can purify the unclean. So he says, he says, first of all, he must be sinless. He must be without defect, perfect and spotless. But secondly, uh, Moses said, you have to kill him. You have to slaughter him. You have to slaughter that lamb. And in Isaiah 53, he talks about this, this suffering servant that was going to be killed. That he, It says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. I love those four phrases, the four words that really describe four ways in which Jesus was, was crucified. And by the way, these four ways really line up with the four promises of God. He was pierced for our transgressions. Transgression is an act of sin that you do. And so when God, when, 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 when his son was pierced, the nails went through his hands and through his feet. When he was, he was pierced, that was for the actions that you have taken. That was for the lies that you have spoken. That was for the adultery that you have committed. That was for what you do. And that, that is the promise of salvation, to bring you out from under the bondage of continually doing things that you don't want to do, continually doing things that are destructive to you. And that is salvation. He said, I'll bring you out. And the way he brought us out was through his nails that went through his hands and through his feet. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed. Now that's a little different. Pierce is a, is a nail that goes through uh, the exterior of your skin on into the interior. But to crush literally means that he was, he, was, he was broken. That's something that happens on the inside. And he was crushed because he was, it would be for our iniquities. Now iniquity is different than transgression. Transgression is the action that you do. Iniquity is the heart behind the action. It's that, it's that propensity that even before, even before you were five years old, you, you had a propensity. Trust me, I, I've had toddlers before. You had, they have a propensity. Nobody has to teach them how to lie. Nobody has to teach them how to be mean to their sister or, or be selfish. It just comes naturally. They just, it, these, we, because we were born with this iniquity. Uh, David said, in sin I was conceived and in iniquity I was brought forth. So there's something wrong with us on the inside. It's not just the stuff we do. It's not just the stuff we say. It is the things that we think. It is the things we desire. It is the things that we love. And so Jesus was, yeah, pierced for our transgressions, but then he was crushed for the reasons behind our transgressions in order to deal with us on the inside, that he would free us from being slaves, that he would free us from the desire to go after sin, from the, from the yearning, from the bent towards sin, that he was crushed on the inside, that he was broken on the inside in order for the stuff that was going on in our insides for him to deal with that. And then the punishment, the punishment that would bring us peace or the punishment that would, that, would, that would bring us into a place of purpose and fulfillment, the punishment that we deserved was put on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. We come into a community. We come into a family of God because of what Christ did on the cross. And so he was killed. The lamb of God was killed for us. He was sacrificed for us. He was slaughtered, if you'd rather use that word, for us. And finally, the final point about the lamb I like to talk about is found in Exodus 12, verse 4. And I think this is 
one of the most fascinating parts. Exodus 12, 4 says, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor. So uh, Chris, Chris Hodges, the one who wrote the book, Four Cups, that we're going to be talking uh, through, we're going to be working through the small groups, um, and then I'm preaching from that book. Chris Hodges points out this. He, he points out those three things, that, that the lamb must be uh, spotless, that the lamb must be uh, uh, slaughtered, and then that the lamb must be shared. That the lamb of God must be shared. God was very specific. He said, I don't, I don't want any leftovers. <laughs> I love God. God's always right, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, like leftovers are just no good. I, I don't care what it is. If it's left over, then that's good for the dog. That's good for the, the horses, maybe. The chickens will eat it. <laughs> but God said, God said, pizza, even pizza, you know? I mean, it has to be really good pizza. It has to be, like, really good pizza. Like, you can't, you can't have leftover Little Caesars, you know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't work. It just doesn't. It, the cheese turns back into plastic when it, when it gets hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just doesn't work out so well. And, and, and with respect to God's lamb, God said, you can't have any leftovers. Now, why in the world not? I mean, if you're killing the lamb, it's dead. Why, why can't you have leftovers? Because he says, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, now you have to have a whole lamb. But if your household happens to be too small for the whole lamb, that then you must share with your nearest neighbor. Why? Because, because God, God did not want his lamb to go to waste. God did not want his son and the blood that would be shed by his son to be thrown out with the garbage or given to the chickens or given to the goats because, because his lamb was too precious, was too powerful. And so he knew... He knew that, that certain houses would be too small. <laughs> he knew that, and, and may I just suggest that, 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 that he knew that City Chapel would be too small. He, he even knew that, that, that some of the big churches in Austin, like Austin Stone, would be too small. In fact, I would say every church that is preaching, that is serving up the lamb, that is feeding people with the lamb of Jesus, the Jesus Christ, I believe that church is too small. I don't care if they have 10,000 people, if they're too small. Because right here in Austin, there's like one point, last I checked, 1.9 million people in Austin, and there's 320, there's 300 some thousand people that call themselves a Christian. And there's, there's, I think, 600,000 that, that say that they, they attend church on some kind of regular. But that's next, that's like one, <laughs> I'm not, once again, I'm not good at math, but that's like 25% of, of, of Austin. This 75% of Austin has not eaten the lamb. They, they, haven't, they haven't even tasted to see that the Lord is good. The, all, all they had is they had some burned out religion from their grandparents in East Texas, and they moved to Austin, and they decided they didn't want anything to do with the lamb because they were so sick and tired of religion. They, 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 they tried the Passover feast, and it left them unfulfilled, but they have not tasted of the lamb of God. They have only tasted of religion. 
And so as long as we have all of these people that have no idea about how good Jesus is and how great Jesus is and how he's nothing like your grandmother's church and he's nothing like the elders of so-and-so who let you down and he's nothing like that pastor who betrayed so-and-so. He's not, that's not Jesus. The Lamb of God is perfect, sinless, spotless, and powerful. And his sacrificial death is for you and for me. He is good. He is loving. He is passionate. He is patient with us. He is gracious toward us. And as long as people have not tasted the lamb, our church is too small. And the church down the street is too small. And every single body of Christ that preaches and serves up the lamb of God is too small. And there's been new people coming in, taking my seat, and they, they sit there, and they don't really like, they don't, they don't, they don't, I don't, they don't even, I don't know why they're wearing that. They don't dress, you shouldn't have a skirt that short. I mean, then you're in church for crying out loud. No, 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 look, at some point, at some point, we have to let some things go so that people can taste the lamb. I don't care what you're wearing, how many tattoos you got, or, or, or where you were last night. The lamb of Jesus Christ is for you. The power of Jesus Christ is for you and it is available to you we have to share it our church is too small for one lamb our church is too small for jesus christ we he is too big for just us here in williams elementary we have to share him we have to give him we have to provide a way for other people to taste and see that the lord is good has to be shared cannot be wasted I mean, that's, that's, that's the reason why we decided to start City Chapel, because we were in a large church in San Marcos, and we were fulfilled, and we loved it. And I was associate pastor, and I, I, it was, it's awesome being the associate pastor, because then you, all you have to do is associate with the pastor, and you get, you get paid just to associate with them. It's awesome. You just, you just, you just associate with the pastor, and, but, 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 but like whenever things go wrong, then you hide behind the pastor, and it was his fault. He, I was pretty sure it was his idea, right? And so, it's, you know, it's, it's great to be the associate pastor because you get to try all sorts of stuff, but you don't really, you know, have to like be accountable for it. You just kind of try it. And, and it's, it's fun to be an associate pastor, but I was, <laughs> I was sitting in my office during 21 days of prayer and fasting and God began to speak to me about people who had not yet eaten of the lamb. And so we wanted to make sure, we wanted to make sure that our family was good with this because we were at a big church. And so my, my daughter, Madden, was what? She was four at the, she was five at the time. And Micah was, Micah was, was two. And so they were just getting involved in kids' church. And they, they had lots of cool activities and games and things like that. And, um, and so we sat down and talked to them. We said, you know, we think maybe that God wants us to go start a church in Austin for people who don't have a church. And, you know, Madden's five, and she says, oh, that's, that's, that's good, that's good. And, um, but I said, you know, the problem is, whenever we start a church, we're probably going to be meeting in, like, a school. And um, <laughs> we're not going to have, like, the rock climbing wall and all of the toys. In fact, we don't have any toys right now, actually. We have, we have no people. We have no toys. We have no teachers for you. Uh, it's going to be a little rough, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be as much fun, probably. And uh, we just don't have as much stuff. Um, so what do you think? Do you think we should do it? You know, I mean, not that we leave all of our decisions up to our five-year-old, but we wanted her to be on board. <clears throat> do you think we should do it? And I'll, I'll never forget, we were, we, we were getting ready for bed, so she was on her bed, so she, so, so she hopped off her bed, she went over uh, to her toys, and she, grabbed, and she grabbed a couple of her dolls. And she said, and she said here, this is for the new church. 
I thought that's so interesting because for me, I'm thinking what we're, what, what we're lacking and how that's going to detract from her experience. And she's thinking what we're lacking and how she has something to give for other people's experience. <laughs> and I said, well, five years old, got it. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, the first donations to Kids Church came from Madden, two little dolls for the kids to play with. And, but that's, that's the heart that God had put inside of her. That's the heart that God had put inside of us. And, I, and it cannot ever reverse. It cannot ever go back to, okay, so am I getting enough out of City Chapel? Am I fulfilled enough? Am I pleased enough? Am I happy enough? Is, this, is that song right up my alley? Is that sermon, did that really speak to me big time? I mean, am I, is this everything I need? <laughs> well, if your house is too small and you've eaten of the lamb, then you must share. You must share. You must stretch. You must become uncomfortable. You must put door hangers out on doors and, and billboards on billboard signs and, and ads on Facebook and door to door and walking around to people. And so, so that's why when you came in today in your worship guide, <clears throat> there are several uh, big uh, invite cards. <clears throat> did, you, did, did you guys get that uh, in, 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 inside of your worship guide? You got, you got one? Okay. In that. Did, do you have any more of those? Okay, so there's plenty outside. So, so if we can have an usher just standing as we dismiss, because um, I, I really want to challenge you this week to invite someone with those cards. It's good that you got one. That's good. Um, uh, but I, would, I really would like us to share the lamb with maybe two, maybe two people. A day. Wow, man, he's an overachiever. But, but just simply because, because this is also a season, uh, Easter season is a time when I think it's like you have an 80% chance that somebody will say yes whenever you invite them to church. Um, and so it's the perfect time to share the lamb because people are open to it and they're kind of like, yeah, sure. But this is the perfect time for them to not just come to a service and a petting zoo and, and a sermon but for them to actually partake of the same lamb that we have partaken of. That they would see that God is good, that they would see beyond the religion that they got burned out on, but that they would actually see Jesus and that they would get a taste for him and that they would experience the promises of God for their life, that they would see the goodness of God in their life. And so if you would bow your head with me and just close our eyes for just a minute, I would like for us to, to pray for a minute and uh, the youth are going to do a, a Palm Sunday drama uh, preparing us for, for Good Friday and Easter. But before they do, I'd just like, just like this, us to take a minute and just see who the Lord would have us to share the lamb with this week. Lord, who would you have us uh, to approach? Who would you have us to to invite. Maybe it's our neighbors. It's people that we, we're in relationship with. Maybe it's our family members. Maybe it's, maybe it's our coworkers. Maybe it's people uh, at, at our school, people in, that we're taking a class with. Maybe it's the barista at Starbucks who, who serves us every day. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would put someone on our heart right now. We just open up our lives, our schedules, our relationships to you in order that you might be shared, in order that you might be seen in order that none of your precious blood would be wasted, none of your sacrifice would go 
unused and unfulfilled, that none of what you had intended, really that you would get every single soul that you paid for. <laughs> Your word says that in John 3.16, that God so loved the entire world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whosoever, that every single whosoever would say yes to you, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that everyone would taste of the Lamb of God, would receive his promises in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.